Hi, I'm Scott, the creator and owner of the Scale Modeler Supply, Australia's largest manufacturer of hobby paints. Our premium airbrush-ready acrylic lacquer paints are designed specifically for use on plastics, with a comprehensive range covering all popular modelling subjects including military, aircraft, rail, auto, sci-fi and more. And not only that, but we also have a wide selection of essential hobby tools and now, infinite colour and new range of water-based paints for miniatures. So to check out our range and to find your closest retailer, please visit our website at scalemodeler.com.au. So when quality matters, choose SMS Paints. Big muff gone. I'm always losing my muff. <laughs> I hate it when I lose my muff. I hate it when a muff goes missing. Gotta go find a new one. <clears throat> As long as I don't stand on my muff. Right. Now, does anyone remember how to record a podcast? <laughs> Fuck. Did we even know how in the first place? <laughs> If you're about to listen to this podcast, there's something you need to know. There's going to be profanity and controversial ideas, because we keep it real. If that's a problem, you might want to listen to something else. Ladies and gentlemen, you may remember us from podcasts of the past, but we are back. <laughs> the Sprue Cutters Union has returned after a hiatus of about a month 100 years yeah, and like a half six I don't know. weeks yeah i'm sure it seems like six seconds for our dedicated listeners yeah yeah we, we took some <laughs> took some time off and and enjoyed the holidays and kicked back and relaxed and uh i think i can speak for all of us when i say that we were able to really focus on some projects that we had going on and get a little rest and come back refreshed and the only real change that you're going to notice in 2023 is that we will be going to three-week releases rather than every other week. So we'll be recording a couple of weeks and then taking a week off and then it'll drop. So there'll be a few less episodes per year, but I think the quality is going to continue the way it is. And it'll really just give us a chance to, to focus on this when we're doing it. Uh, with a little bit more energy uh, by giving us uh, a break in between so we can sort of catch our breaths and, and get on with what we need to get on to in real life, too. So, so in other words, same shit, less often. Yeah. Same shit, <laughs> less often days. Yeah, and it's so, going to be good. It'll give us a week off because we were recording. I mean, do you guys realize for the last year and a half, we've basically been recording every single week. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been pretty intense and it's been good, but I think this will be nice because this will give us like a week off. We record every, you know, two out of every three and yeah. Plus you people out there will have to put up with us a little less. A little less. <laughs> I don't have to edit every yeah. yeah. Nobody has been more, more swamped with work from this silly thing than Chris. And so I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be good for everybody. But definitely for the boss. Yeah. So anyway, as you can tell, I'm joined by my compadres, Chris Meddings and Will Patterson. Hello, boys. What's up? Yeah. What's up? All right. 
Well, we still look the same. Three bald idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was thinking we should have called the New Year show Idiots Rule after the James Addiction song. <laughs> well, that would imply that we rule. And, uh, or that Idiots Rule. And... <laughs> we fucking do. I mean, come on, false modesty yeah. aside. Well, we do, and also Idiots Rule out in the real world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so much of that. That's definitely not changed with the coming of the new year. No, no. Any parking lot will convince you of that. <laughs> any five minutes on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, we've got Burrs coming up later. Sorry to steal your, oh, uh, your, your thunder there. But uh, it was really hard not to make mind people. <laughs> just, just people. Humans. <laughs> Fucking people. What are we going to do today on our, uh, on our you know, uh, first day back? Back in action. Well, we are going to catch up uh, with each other, find out what we've been doing for the last six weeks, uh, and then we're going to have an ad break, uh, so our sponsors can tell you about how wonderful they are and their wonderful products, and then we're going to do some burrs under our saddle, because we've accumulated a few of those. Permanently <laughs> <laughs> fucking annoyed. <laughs> and then we're going to do another ad break, so you can listen to somebody say something positive, and then we're going to critique a model that I've finished uh, yesterday. Yes, finally. Yeah, finally. finally. Yeah. That's Tracy's finished model for 2023. Yes, I'm done. <laughs> I will start seven other projects and finish none. So you can then tell us, look, how many models I finished. How many model I finished. <laughs> <laughs> My output for the year, er, model. That- that's why people don't post models. Like, well, apart from Sam Dwyer, people don't post models I started in 2023 because it's just not uh, 2022. There's just not enough internet. Yeah. Well, Sam builds one out of just boredom. He'll sit it at work, work his damn job where he works from home in his modeling mm-hmm. studio. So yeah. he'll just whip something together while he's waiting on some shit. He whipped up the Ming uh, Phantom in like five minutes, and it looks great. Yeah, that's, it does. He, I mean, that's that's the thing is 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 he does build pretty fast, but it and it always looks good. Actually, yeah. I just listened to on the bench, and he's on there talking about phantoms and talking about that phantom as well. If anyone wants to pop over there and how to listen to that, mm-hmm. yeah, it's always fun to listen to Sam. Yeah, everybody seems like everybody took a little bit of a Christmas or holiday break and everybody's kind of getting mm. warmed back up. And so, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I had nothing to listen to because of all those lazy... Oh, yeah, and us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of those, including us? Yeah. yeah, all, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of us. All of it's us almost lazy. people have families and things to do. Jesus. All of us lazy fucks. Look, you've got you've got audio books and things like that. You can listen to music. You don't have to have. Oh man, I've burned uh, through some audio books. <laughs> just a human being yacking at you. No. Any, anyway, let, let's let's roll on with, with what we've been up to. So let's. let's oh yeah, it's a modeling podcast. Talk yeah, about modeling. yeah. You know, you don't, you can't talk about anything else without one guy get his ass bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. Um, Why am I listening to you talk about books? <laughs> what is it? Why am I listening to this free audio show that I don't have to listen to to listen to stuff I don't like? What is this? What I did over my Christmas holidays? I, I want to hear about models. Talk about monogram. Monogram. <laughs> More monogram. All right, Chatty Kathy, what have you been up to, Chris? Yeah. Uh, what haven't I been up to? Um. 
I have been working on a book for AK that I was supposed to deliver last... I think it was about 18 months ago. So it holds a new record for how fucking slow I've been. And I finally decided I can't do it. I just can't finish it. I've been stuck with block on it for like months. And I finally thought I got to, I got to, you know, let them off because they want to, they want to get someone else to do it or something. So I said, look, I can't do it. I can't finish it. And they said, well, just send us what you have got. So I thought, all right, I'll sit down and look at what I have got. And I have enough to finish the book. So I spent <laughs> the last week finishing the book. I just, once I decided to ditch the bit I was blocked on, it was easy. Just burn through it. So I've got some more photos to take for that. And then I will send that off. But that's basically done. That's good to get great. that off the, the I get paid. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, if there's one thing I really fucking hate, it's not doing something I said I'd do. And I promised I'd do that. <laughs> and they've waited for it and waited for it and waited for it. And it's I've just made myself an arsehole by not doing it. So I'm really glad I've finally done it. Well, hey, as long as they didn't give you money before you were done, it's all good, right? No, I don't I don't tend to take payment until I'm finished on anything. The reason being, in case I don't want to do it, <laughs> they have to feel too guilty. But I still felt guilty, especially because a couple of good friends that work with them, uh, you know, went out to bat for me to get that job. So I feel bad I let them down. So the fact I've done it now is a huge weight off my mind. So there we go. Hey, man, doing what you say you're going to do is a good thing. It should be the minimum, though, shouldn't it? So, you think? Uh, you know, I'm just glad I've done it. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, yeah. good on you. And I've you. also built a centurion, which mm, is going... Which tasty. I'll probably hate it next week, because that's what I do with all models, but right now I think it's the best thing I've ever done. It's really good. It's pretty cool, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on there. It's. Mm. I think it's the most... Uh, I mean, and I. This is a shitty word, but I don't know. What, I don't know another word. Okay, instead of sophisticated, how about complex? I think it's the most complex hmm. finish that I've seen you do. I don't want to go into it too much because when the diorama's finished, I want to critique it on here, and we'll talk about it then. But just a couple of things. I did some. It, it's because of this show that it went as well as it did because I picked up all kinds of little things from people we've spoken to. Uh, and for conversations we've had as well and one of them is observation because it's the uh, Centurion Avery at Cobberton Combat Museum in Devon which is one that fell off a dock in Qatar I think during Gulf War 1 and they pulled it out and decided it wasn't worth saving and sold it off so it's um, it's roached, it's, you know, it's rusty it's beaten up well you would be if you were a 50 ton tank that fell off a dock you know, and hit the bottom with a thump Um but it looks great so because of that and it's covered in dust because the museum isn't one they keep spick and span they like things to look like lived in and i don't think they like to dust stuff too much it's really dusty so it's got all lots of different effects going on but i went down there years ago and took about 200 photos of it inside and out and obviously i haven't used the inside ones only the outside ones this time but because i had all those photos uh i could do what i saw in the photos and i think i usually screw up on weathering when I'm inventing stuff. Mm. If I've got something I can copy, something I can look at and replicate, mm. then I'm on I can do it, I think. Well, reasonably well, not perfectly, but reasonably well. But if I haven't, if I have to imagine stuff, that's when it might be well done or look alright, but it it's never quite got that feeling of reality. Yeah, it's a bit not like authentic. we're gonna find with your diorama with all the extra bits yeah. on it later. It's those things that make it. You know, that's what makes it authentic is all the little 
things that you wouldn't think to put on unless you saw them somewhere and stuff like that. So, well, <clears throat> yeah, really pleased with it. It's basically what I'm going for. You should be. It's beautiful. Yeah. And to, to bring up our first uh, take a shot of 2023, when I was in art school, I had, <laughs> I had a professor and we were, we were doing uh, drawing from life. So we had a model there mm. and he would always say, if you spend, you know, three seconds looking at the model, getting the information with your eye and bringing it back to the paper and you spend 10 seconds drawing, then for seven seconds you were making shit up. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you, you take your observation, you bring it back, you go back to the your reference, your life le- reference, and then you, you, you bring it back to the paper and transfer it from, you know, what your eye saw to what your hand is mm-hmm. doing. Um, and it's funny, you could, you know, in classes like that, you would see people who were just looking at their paper and drawing for like, two or three minutes you're like well, where are you mm. getting the information like it's, you're not looking oh, at the I primary source I can't hold source. it in my head that long no it's just an example of, of how you know that if you have no I mean I can't you know I have to keep looking because oh, yeah. I can't hold an image in my head perfectly of what it is for that well, nobody long. can that's the no. point like you, you really mm. can't you, you can accurately take small bits and then, of course this is really just related to, to life drawing but I think if you have reference on hand that you're trying to um, to duplicate or to, to draw from on your weathering then it really is helpful because you're not making shit up this is real this is how it really looks because you're looking right at it so if you really want to go for authenticity you're copying what you see so it's really great to have that kind of reference especially with a vehicle like yours where you're doing that vehicle and you've got 200 photos, you know, like if somebody's building a Panther tank from World War II, man, you're lucky if you have two or three photos of the same vehicle. Yeah. And some little grainy black and white photo, even if it's really good photo with a German lens and everything because their lenses were spectacular. You get some really nice sharp photos. There's only so much you can see in those photos of what's mud and what's... Uh, shadow and stuff like that you know close-up photos with a modern camera totally different totally much easier to see what you're looking at the other thing i took from chats was when david parker said he didn't panel line anything on the panzer four the big panzer four so whereas i normally just automatically panel line i didn't on this Uh, but the detail still came out because of treating them all with enough individually with enough care if you see what i mean rather than just doing a, a whole canvas sort of approach which is something I got from Lester as well. He always works panel by panel. So I did one panel and did everything on that panel and then moved on to the next one so that each one was balanced, finished, how I wanted it before I moved on to the next one. Whereas normally I go, right, chipping all over and then, I don't know, washes all over and then do this all over. And what you end up with an all over sort of meh. Whereas if you go panel by panel, you're looking much smaller and working much more on it. It took a lot longer to do it as well, which is... A good thing for a good thing yeah and i think hmm. it, when you have one panel that's brought up to a finished state and you move on to the next one then you have something you have a guide right mm-hmm. you, you know yeah. what too little looks like you know what too much looks like because the one next to it is finished so you, i think it's easier to control um your the quantity and quality of your weathering by having you know one panel finished and then moving to the next yeah and you get a chance to see how all the tones work together. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I find them. I found my palette doing that as well because yeah. it was all done with acrylic, with AK third gen acrylic paints. 
I'm not paid by AK. I don't know why I'm advertising for them. And uh, with life color liquid pigments, that's it. I didn't use any uh, enamels, any washes, any um, filters. Uh, filters. I didn't even <laughs> use any oils. I I try. I actually I did use. I used acrylic filters. Uh, I didn't use any oils on it. I did on one part, but I just it wasn't quite working for me, and I was doing fine with the acrylics, and it it just sort of. I got this thing because I wanted a dusty look. Acrylics when you mix over mix them with water. They almost disintegrate into like um, dry pigments in suspension. They get very sort of little bitty. They kind of and break that's great up for dust and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it looks really good for dust, and um, it's got a more scale appearance than big chunky pigments out of a bottle. If you see what I mean. So, I want to go back to the thing you were saying about about uh, imagining stuff because I think I think that's a really important point. I think you see it a lot. Uh, I mean. You can you can sort of tell when when somebody is just imagining what dirt will do, or like the perfect example is gunpowder stains on fighter plane wings. You know, it, we've been imagining that that would happen for decades, but the truth is that it rarely does. And it's just those little traces of authenticity that can really put your model at the next level. Exhaust stains are another one. You know, guys, just imagine how it would look and in fact in looking at a reference photo we'll show you that it's got a particular shape or that it has multiple color tones or whatever and it's not that much effort you know to do something that can uh, anyway I, I just think that's a good point i mean you don't have to have loads of photos of a thing you can do what what you do and, and build up a whole folder full of photos of the same aircraft say that give you little clues and things to, that you can then make up a Franken aircraft of weathering, if you see what I mean. But uh, yeah, but I go a little, for, yeah, I go a little overboard. I mean, yeah, you don't need you don't need a thousand photos of a Mustang to, to build a good one. I just yeah, but that's sort of the hobby, isn't it? <laughs> it, kind the of, it kind of it kind of is, kind of is. And and it, but if you want to really drill into your head what a particular weathering phenomenon looks like. You know, there's no substitute for looking at many, many, many photos. No, I think and not necessarily of just the same thing. I mean, if you want to look at the way mud works, you don't have to just look at the at photos of the tank you're building because mud works like mud no matter what kind of vehicle you're talking about. Yeah, it's true. You just have to understand where it gets flicked. I mean, I was a vehicle and stuff like that. I was in I was in town yesterday, and I pulled up next to a to a, a ranch truck and it was white and it had all this beautiful spray of mud all down the side of it. And I was angling to try and get a picture of it because I just thought, man, this is perfect. You couldn't illustrate this any better. And, you know, and, 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 and it would work no matter what kind of, what kind of vehicle you were talking about. Yeah. Again, so much of modeling is cerebral where you're looking at photos or looking at the real thing parked next to you in a parking lot. And your brain is like, okay, how do I break that down? How would I, how would I recreate that on a model? Like, hmm. you know, Oh, again, look, there's more than one color of dirt yeah, in that yeah, mud, sure. in that mud stain. Oh, look, I could do that by airbrushing a base tone and then coming back with some oils and maybe there's some room for some pigments to do where the clods are. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, we've talked a lot about that sort of thing, but it, it, it's... Tea leaves if you're Lester. Works for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Looks really good. He does mud so well. Yeah. He does. 
that's me. Good. Yeah. Sounds like you had a nice little break. Productive and... Yeah, yeah. Went to see the family and all that, you know. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, spent some time with my son doing Warhammer stuff as well. Yeah, I've been painting Warhammer as well, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> because I, I, I'm not exactly a, an expert. Well, what about you? Well, uh, let's see. Um, I've spent the rest of December after our last episode working on my little Sherman project. And I... I managed to get the build part done by the December 31st deadline of our arbitrarily, uh, you know, dictated little group build thing, but I didn't finish. Um, There was just no way that was going to happen. I spent six weeks doing what you guys declared to be a two-day project, which is pretty. <laughs> no, we said it, it could, could be pretty pretty normal for me. Yeah, it could be, but I'm stoked uh, about it. I, I I mean, I you know, it's kind of in that. I've tried I've tried to do that thing that seems to be the tradition with you armor guys, where you get the whole thing built with all of the little brass and resin bits on it but no paint or mm. even primer and so i got it to that point and um it's pretty cool i mean i feel good about it it's got a lot of little 3d printed parts on it and i had fun with that and i'm looking forward to actually uh doing doing the rest of it uh, but i had to get back to musaru cup duty like a good team member and uh so i've been working on that thing since the uh, since the beginning of since since the beginning of the year <laughs> and uh, it's it's coming along um i'm uh i'm 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 pretty stoked about it i i'm going to mount the thing on a little base and i got the base done and i'm 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 happy with that i spent some time trying to make a realistic looking dirt airfield surface and uh i always have more fun doing that than i think i'm going to um I ended up chasing the, I get frustrated with dirt tones and uh, I ended up chasing that around a little bit, but I feel pretty good about it. And um, so, yeah, I'm about ready to actually start painting the plane itself, the top, the top surfaces, bottoms, bottoms pretty much done. And uh, so your favorite bit, I I have done the thing where I, I, I've done like almost everything except paint i'm kind of using the same strategy that i did on the hornet uh to where i can really finish out with what i do enjoy the most and so i really am looking forward to it and i've got let's see today's the 24th so we are our photos are due on march 11th and that gives me what like uh 50 days just Barely enough time. <laughs> it's just not long enough. It's just not long enough. Maybe to paint it, but weather it as well. Jesus. Well, it is one seventy-seven. I mean, I mean, I know you're being facetious, but it's me. You're not wrong. Uh, you know, I spent, I spent like two or three hours yesterday drilling out exhaust pipes at one seventy-seven. Oh, those scale. look so good. Yeah, well, they look really good. Thanks, man. That was uh, that was one of those deals where I was I, I'd been thinking about it, and I was like, "That's probably not gonna gonna really work out." 
And but I know uh, I can know what you were thinking. You sat there drilling and thinking, I wish I could fucking draw this. I wish I could three D print this. I wish I could fucking three D. Yeah, this. there was that. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, it would have been I. You know, I, I probably could have three D printed those. But but those little exhaust stacks are not a trivial shape to create in uh, in three D. So it wouldn't have been. So it it would was quicker to to work by hand. You're saying. Well, it's, the part's already in there. That case, yes, in that case, because all <laughs> I had, to, case. all I had to do was drill the holes. But, but all I had to do, I mean, you know, the tip of that exhaust is, I'm going to say a half millimeter in diameter, not even quite that, yeah. about 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, because I know a half millimeter bit was a little, almost too big, but. The great thing about that kit is that they give you both the shrouded and unshrouded exhaust style for the Mustang, and so I had a pra- I had practice parts. So I I I drill I drilled six of them before I tackled the ones that I was really going to use. Do they give you a divot in the, no. in the center of the exhaust? Uh, that's uh-uh. even worse. No, what you do get so is first a, you got to center it. Well, you what you get is a very slight mold. A parting line witness mm-hmm. and and so i tried various things to get my because i center punched them i mean you have to center punch something like that and even with a super sharp little center punch and pre-marking it with a pin i tried every trick i could think of to get my mark dead center and i was about I don't know, maybe 40% on that. There were a couple of them that were a little sketchy. If you look real close, they're a little eccentric, but they give the effect from a from a reasonable viewing distance. And, and so I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty thrilled with that, honestly. I think it's I think it's good, but the tires, fuck me. Uh, I just you know, that's just a that's just that's just a disaster. And we asked, there was a group of us that were like, you know, raising the protest signs and we appealed to the to the Wranglers at Musaru Cup to allow us all to use resin wheels, and they <laughs> made it very clear that they weren't interested in any whining about about the <laughs> about the kit wheels. So about the kit we got for free. Yeah, it was almost <laughs> like they it was almost like they took it a little personally. So you know, I just had to buckle. What's wrong with the kit wheels? The so it's got a diamond tread. It's the standard Mustang right. standard Mustang tire. It's got a diamond tread, and the cross hatching is offset from one side to the other by as much as half a tread. And that's the thing; it's right. not it's not consistent. Like like you'll start like because just you know you 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 have to sort of sand off the parting line mm-hmm. witness, and then scribe across that just like you would on a panel line that goes across the spine of a fuselage, except much much tinier, and you start thinking you're doing pretty good because you're connecting one side to the other. I use a razor saw for it and you work your way around about a quarter turn and start to realize that it's getting harder and harder to connect the ends of the line. (laughs) And and then you go a little further and you're like, what the fuck? These aren't even close. So yeah, it's not good. Um, and, and several of the, I mean, I think Barry is, has basically decided he's just going to go in flight because he just doesn't want to fuck with the wheels. So you know, he's got to do a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Swap one problem for another. Basically. Yeah. And it's, and, and, and that's going to be a tough decision for him because his cockpit, I mean, for a guy who, 
for a guy who is you know claims to not be a scale modeler his work is fantastic his cockpit looks amazing he's got beautiful little tiny little seat belts and honestly everybody's work that i've seen looks great it's going to be difficult for these guys to judge because hmm. i mean everybody involved i think is 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 pretty you know is is a pretty high level craftsman i feel self-conscious including myself in that statement but i mean look this is not an average group of model makers that are competing there's nine of us and i've seen work from i think six i think ian from on the bench is the farthest along he's doing an australian one and he's so he's got the gray green camo and his paint is tight as fuck it looks really good and you know darren of course is doing the expected fantastic job um you know, and and I mean, nobody should discount Kentucky Dave because he's a 172nd specialist. I mean, that guy's an assassin, uh, and his you know the work that he's showed is is great. So, you know, the revenge on on uh, IPMS Hamilton is going to be when they have to spend hours going through the photos and judging. Uh, it's going to be cool. Brian Denklau, I think he's only just started. Yeah. <laughs> But he put he's, a photo up of his seat. It looked really good. It, it does. And, and, and yeah, I mean, he's, you know, you, you sort of think, okay, here's the young guy playing fast and loose, starting six weeks before the deadline. But he'll knock it out of the park. I mean, his work is great. He's a, he's a great craftsman. And, and, and he uh, never sleeps. So. You know, apparently yeah, not. Absolutely. Apparently he, never. Boundless. He's, out, he's like, yeah, he's like he, my new cat. He just never yeah, stops. Yeah, exactly. He's got, he's got, uh, tons of energy and output so yeah i have no doubt that he'll make it to the finish line you know none none i have we have not seen anything from the um just making conversation guys um or the the scale model (sighs) podcast guys or the plastic posse guys so who knows what's up there but but uh so far it's a tough contest I imagine some people are keeping it close to the chest, you know. Could be, mm-hmm. uh, could be. I don't know. I don't know. Malcolm is is in our little group, and I don't think he's trying to keep it a secret. I just think he hasn't had time to start yet. So, but uh, yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody's everybody's results. I personally, and I may get some hate for this. I personally, after experiencing three or four of them. I really believe in the online competition format. There's just so much more that you can see from a good set of photos. Yeah, you might not be able to see if the wings are within one millimeter, but who gives a fuck? I, I just I, I, I like it, and I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be cool. Well, the camera doesn't lie, right? No. Like no. you're, you know, in discussing your uh, drilling out the exhaust, like what you see in that photo is not anywhere close what you would see with the naked eye. Right. You know? So, like, you you can be hypercritical of, like, being off just a little tiny fraction of a little half of a quarter of a decimal point of a millimeter. But once you get that <laughs> thing on the airplane and the airplane is sitting on the table in front of you and you're looking at it with your eyes, it's going to look perfect. Because your eyes are not a digital camera. Yeah. You know? I mean, the the... There are some things in the photos that I sent to you guys where I was like, huh, this looks a lot worse photograph than it does in real life. (laughs) 
Well, um, that's that to me is the best case for constantly posting work in process close-ups to like SMCG. I mean, that's that's my quality control mechanism because if it, you know, if 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 you can't see it in the camera, chances are you're not going to see it in real life and vice versa. Yeah, but there's also as we'll discuss, I'm I'm not overly happy with the photos. I do want to retake the photos. So yeah, there's a part of me that's like, okay, that's not the camera is giving you something that I'm not seeing with my eye. Like the balance is off or, mm. you know, so like it's not necessarily like the tiny details that I'm seeing. It's just like the overall mm. is like a yeah. little shifted a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, well, we, well, we'll get a chance to talk about that when we, when we take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, you know, sometimes the camera can give you too much information, you know? Like the the camera can show you things that you might not really need to fix because you're absolutely. Really I mean, it's it. it it is definitely it is definitely a double edged sword. I mean, I drive myself to the point of madness by utilizing that mechanism, but at the same time, if I didn't do it, I know that there's stuff that I would miss. So the question is, where do you draw the line, right? You, you know, you. It's, What's your own personal filter, right? Yeah, because absolutely. I think we all use digital photos to find what we're overlooking with our eye. And it's then like you... this. This one guy said we were. Too, I, I posted some pictures of a ghost scene that I had on the intake yeah. scoop of the of yeah, the Mustang, and talked about how I deal with those. And this one guy said, "Yeah, if it's on the bottom, I just stop turning it over and looking at it." <laughs> 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 like that's ge- that's genius that's that's i wish i could do that yeah, yeah. touche yeah so, so that's my me. turn yeah yeah it's your turn yep. what are you doing besides finally finishing something that's it that's all <laughs> <laughs> that is le- okay join us next week on this <laughs> <laughs> that is legitimately what i've done for the last uh six weeks is you know that that project was the closest to being finished so that's the project that got all the love. Um, I've got a Panther build I'm looking at over here that's three quarters of the way built, uh, but it's just sitting over there gathering dust. Um, the scimitar uh, is painted and in a box. Um, like I, I literally just like once I got to a point where I could see the the light at the end of the tunnel on this, I put everything else away and just focused on this. Um, got a little, little bit of traveling done. Just went, you know, went to visit my mom and stuff like that. Had family over for the holidays and everything else has just been work. There's not really been anything exciting, but it's been nice to, to relax and, you know, read that book on the wire. Mm. Yeah, just, just chill. Just, just relax. You got, you got me totally into that thing, man. I watched the whole thing since our last our last gathering. I was going to say, we'll have to start a wire cutters union. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I can say this because I know that nobody who puts out wire podcasts listens to our podcasts. We'd do a better job than they would. I've, I've really tried on a couple of those podcasts and, and I just end up like muttering to my phone. Just like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? That's not Well, right. chances are there's nobody who's more of a subject matter expert than you are. I mean, how many times have you watched the damn thing? 19. 19 
19 times, five seasons. Times. <laughs> Holy shit. It is worth it, though. It is, it's a great series, and 19 times good. may seem yeah. absolutely ridiculous, but uh, at this point, it's just something to keep me company on the bench. You know? It's, you know, you could ask somebody, how many times have you listened to Led Zeppelin 4? Yeah, and I get well, it. Well, yeah. So, it's not... It, it's the ultimate thing that keeps me company that I don't have to pay attention to because I know it backwards and forwards. It, well, it's so dialogue driven. Like, like yeah. Before I saw it, I would not have understood how you could do that because I'm too compelled to look and see what's going on. But you really kind of don't have to it, with with the wire. I mean, you no. can literally. It's it's so dialogue driven that you could do that. Yeah, it's a great show. I mean, I. I I know a lot of people who are really into it and a lot of people who have never watched it and, you know, that's fine, but... I pity those fools. Yeah. <laughs> Although, in reading this book, just one thing about The Wire before we start talking about models again, uh, because I don't want anybody to tune out, but I I learned Check something uh, by reading this book and now that you're finished with the show, I can bring it up because yeah. you, you had to have seen the last season. You know the uh, Alma Gutierrez who works at the newspaper? Right. Mm. She is married in real life to the guy who played D'Angelo Barksdale. Yeah. <laughs> well, there which you is go. something I never knew. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, it's a great book. It's it's really insightful, but it's also um, it's like reading a documentary, you know, because all it is is just uh, actors, uh, producers, writers, everybody who was involved, just sort of you know, little. It would be like reading this, you know, like little little snippets of top. Anyway, um, so I, I was really, I got that for Christmas and burned through that. I was really pleased about that. But really, it's just been pushing this thing forward, and um, I'm happy with it. I have gotten a little bit of feedback already. It's still sitting on the bench. Uh, it is not put away yet because I knew that after this critique there would be some things to attend to and I've gotten a couple of things from other people that um that I'll need to attend to. So I'm looking forward to So it's ninety five percent I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but the only people who've gotten photos are just a handful of people. There are no photos on yeah, the internet. You haven't posted it ninety five percent done. That's this fucking thing better be ninety nine percent done. Well because I can't wait to I can't wait to see it. I, I have not looked at it. You, when you said you wanted to do the critique, I held off because I wanted to come into it totally fresh. So I have I have opened exactly one photo and left it right there. All right. Well, I mean, I don't really have a lot to add about what I've been doing over the last six weeks. It's really just been kind of relaxing in the norm. But um, maybe we'll take a break right now, let some of our sponsors bend somebody's ear, and then we'll come back and do a little burrs under the saddles. Hello, hello. This is Tom Anish of Anish Models from Germany speaking. And now you know how to pronounce my name. Anish. Simple like that. I just want to thank everybody for supporting my little company over the time. Well, since I have a few seconds left and you probably need some of my resin parts, decals or my super precision tools, here's the address to my webshop again. www.anish.io A-N y z dot i o now back to the awesome podcast 
Burrs under my saddle. Burrs rich in my butt. Burrs under my saddle. There's one wedged under my nut. Well, where are we going to start? Who goes first? We all have some. We know that. Well, you're the burriest of them all, Will. So. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> I suppose that's not entirely untrue. Well, and I have an immediate one. This this one's because this one popped up just a couple of days ago, and and I see this, I see this a lot. Um, maybe not a lot. I don't know, but it's the statement. And you guys, and I don't know, you guys didn't respond when I mentioned it. So we may be we may be finna have a debate, and that's cool. It's these guys who say that who say who say that you should be constantly tweaking your airbrush pressure and mm. reduction ratio. Well, you know, if you're using different colors, you're going to be changing these things all the time anyway. And I'm like, what the fuck are you even talking about right now? I, I, I mean, if you're changing different brands, okay, yeah, obviously, MRP comes out of the bottle ready thin enough ready to spray for 99% of, of at least my purposes SMS same way I mean it's a yep. it's a little it's a little thicker than MRP I like to reduce it a little bit but I find all of them to be the same like I'm not gonna reduce the interior green 50 50 and reduce the black 70 30 I there's no rational reason to me to do that. And some people might say, well, but the pigments are now the pigments are just in they're just inorganic materials. Does I mean, yeah, I, you might get better coverage with one over the other, but I'm not trying to decipher that and incorporate that into my strategy because I believe that consistency is the most important thing with paint. ABC, always be consistent. If I use Mr. Color, on the other hand, that comes out of the bottle thicker than motor oil. Obviously, you have to reduce that, but they are all the same. And as far as pressure goes, yeah, no. I literally never change my pressure for a given airbrush setup. If I change airbrushes, I'm probably changing to a different thing. Like I might get my, my HPTH out. It's got a half millimeter needle because I want to spray a whole bunch of paint, yeah, I'm going to crank the pressure up to 20 PSI instead of 15. If I switch to my Franken brush with the 0.2 millimeter needle, it's because I want to spray some little tiny, tiny spots, and so I might drop it down to 7. But otherwise, I ain't changing the fucking pressure. There's just no reason to. So stop. You stop saying that. I mean, it's. Uh, I think everybody does it by feel, right? You pull the airbrush trigger, and if you need a little more pressure, you just reach down and crank it up a little bit. But, I mean, or pull the trigger harder, get more flow. Or, I mean, or I, bend the paint a little more. Yeah. Like, I think this is art school versus engineer here. Cause, uh, it could be. <laughs> I'm not it, Tracy. It certainly could I, be. I'm constantly changing it, but I'm not looking at what it is. I'm, I'm either turning it up or turning it down based on how the paint's flowing that day and... You know, I don't have. If someone says how much psi, I, I usually just say around seventeen, only because I can't be asked to like find out. So I just always say seventeen, <laughs> regardless of what it is. But I'm constantly changing it because I'm not measuring my my um, what do you call it, my reducing 
like accurately or anything like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. Whatever. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let me let me say two things. First, I'm not advocating for a correct pressure because there's not one. Right. Whether it's whether it's 15 or 17 or 12 doesn't mm. matter. What does matter, in my view, is is that it's the same, that it's consistent. So the only reason that I say 20 instead of 15 is so that if I make a change, I can return back to the same place. Because I don't, no, I don't, mine isn't though. I don't want to change. I'm them. always changing it. Okay, so that's the second thing I was going to say. If you are not and and there's no single correct dilution ratio either. So if you're constant, I mean, if you're just diluting by feel, like if you're one of the if you're one of these guys that's experienced enough where you can where you can put some paint in a cup and put some thinner in it and mix it up and watch the way that it sloshes up on the sides of the cup and decide just from looking at that how if it's if it's what you want knowing that that might not be exactly the same ratio every time i could see tweaking the pressure a little bit to change your the way it sprays yeah most of the time i'm going to change the if i'm having trouble spraying something i'm going to change the the ratio exactly that's to me that's exactly that to me is the first place to go exactly because i don't have to bend over Right? It's just like well same same here. I don't want to reach underneath my bench, find the knob, twist it, you know. I, I, but I also don't believe that there's any reason to. No, I don't believe You shouldn't have to reach around. Well, I don't believe <laughs> You're I'm just sure. selfish, Chris. You're just selfish. <laughs> I also think that, that the fault is is almost always going to be mine rather than the airbrush compressor. Yeah. Right? It's not because the airbrush is, is pressure is on the it's the pressure is wrong. It's because I've mixed it by eye or by feel and the error lies within what I'm doing. Yeah, because you're dealing with mechanical parts. The diaphragm and the regulator, the trigger mechanism in the airbrush, the nozzle versus needle opening. I mean, these are all these are all hard and fast physical constraints, and I, to me, what I want to do is reduce the variables as much as possible to get consistency. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you got a if you're if you're in a car in a car factory, and you're an engineer trying to program a robot to paint a car, all of these things are variables that go into an equation that ends up with how much paint gets deposited, and I want to change as few of those as possible because the one thing I might not be able to control, I will grant you, Chris, is the paint itself. I'm just kind of loosey-goosey. I'm always, you know, I don't have any exact measures of anything. I just I feel like my painting life would be better if I did measure out my dinner and did come up with a ratio that worked, like instead of... It, you know, it, oh I, shit, that's I mean, too I much have, thinner. I better add a little more paint to thicken that up, and like you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue that it would, yeah, and especially it would. especially especially for for beginners. I, I mean, look, I won't lie, I don't always measure, but I've got enough hours of airbrushing that I can do the thing where I swirl it around in the cup, and I know what I need. 
I mean, I do that with clears because I almost always reduce clears. And I can tell from looking at it if it's going to spray the way I want it to. And if it doesn't, as soon as I take that first shot, I know if it's not right. If it's a little spattery, if it's, mm-hmm. if it's not going down as smooth as I want it to, I, I know instantly. So, yeah, I can get away with it. But part of how I got there was by being consistent for a lot of years with measuring. And, and it's easy because I use those little plastic, you know, medicine measuring cups. So it's super easy. You throw in two, you know, or you throw throw in two or three milliliters of paint, two or three milliliters of reducer. Boom, you got 50-50. You're off to a good start. I mean, it's not hard. If you're a drop counter, you know, use pipettes. Since I changed to SMS, I don't adjust it at all because that, that's taken the variable out of it. Yep, there you go. It. Yeah. So between colors, I don't look. Go back to what you're saying about changing between. I don't bother with SMS. It just, I love it. I know they're a sponsor, and I know people are thinking, "Are oh, he's saying this because they're a sponsor?" But uh, I was, you know, guys, know I was a confirmed Tamiya man. I wasn't that interested in trying MRP. And um, <laughs> I know this. <laughs> I got some guns and everything. Well, because I was happy with Tamiya, and yeah. then Scott sent us some to try because we said we wouldn't have them as a sponsor unless we tried it because. You know, if it was garbage paint, we didn't want it yeah. to have a sponsor. Paints, make garbage yeah. paint. And I, I'm, I'm a convert. It's just so easy to use. And I don't have to adjust the pressure with mm-hmm. that. That just comes out. The only time I have to adjust pressure is if I'm doing fine work or something like that. But that's it. That's when everybody has to adjust their pressure, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you have to, don't you? Because it's just a, a thing about how airbrushes work. But, yeah, it, it's great stuff. Love it. And yeah. that takes, it's only when I have to thin stuff and when I'm like fucking loosey-goosey, yeah, that much, fucking whatever, that much. But again, you know, if if we were to take the loosey goosey out of it and actually measure stuff, it would be yeah, we'd have more consistent uh, results. And, and you're right. Maybe if you filled up my Tamiya thing for that month, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that would at least be consistent. But I mean, Will's right. You know, so many people, uh, you see a lot of people asking about how much you thin your paint and whatnot. Yeah. And if you're, you know, if you don't have the experience um, and you can't figure out what's going wrong or, or if you're, even if you're just passing off a recommendation, it, it would be easier for that person to, to measure things when you say, I, I thin it 50-50 to start off with an yeah. actual 50-50 ratio uh-huh. and then get the feel from that you know learn what that looks like learn how that sprays learn how that feels because there are several things that you that that are definitely individual i mean even if you're even if you're the most consistent guy in the world your spray distance your angle your rate of travel the amount that you pull the trigger back all those things are going to be unique to you and and so yeah, it might not work the same for one guy as it does for the other, but you still need to learn how it looks, what looks correct given your own particular fingerprint, if that makes sense. Yeah, and what you just, all those things that you just mentioned are also hurdles for people who are just picking up an airbrush. Exactly. And so this is why I'm protesting because. I think that just to advise people to just casually tell people, ah, oh, no, pressure doesn't matter. There's no correct pressure. I, you know, I change my, I change the amount of thinner and my and the pressure all the time. If that's all you say, I think that's bad advice. 
I think that's doing a disservice to these guys who are trying to learn. And honestly, I think it's the root of a lot of terrible paintwork. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I think the obviously the advice you want to give is is to find, you know, a good thinning ratio and a good spraying pressure, and then let somebody figure out the intricacies of how the airbrush works and how how far away you hold it and. There's all kinds of problem solving because, you know, problems happen with your paint and you have to figure out, like, why is it doing this? And and if you're if all of your other variables are consistent, then solving those problems is a little easier. Absolutely. And, and the thing the thing that, that I think you should, should keep in mind is that when you have problems, your ability to get help from somebody else is is better if 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 you're not the fewer variables you're fucking with. Like, you know, if you have problems with pizza and you call your bro across town and they're like, dude, and he's like, yeah, man, I use the same kind of sauce. The odds are low that you guys have two different kinds of, uh, two different formulations of sauce, right? Right. Because chances are they crank out the sauce in batches of millions and you and he have the same sauce. A A better equation would be dough. Right, because there are variables in dough like there are in airbrushing. Like, sure, how much water did you use? What's your temperature in your ovens and things like that? You you have to kind yeah. of dial it in, and and you do get advice from people and get, you know, I mean, there's, I suppose you could go on the internet and ask people about pizza dough, but there's also books like reliable, solid, like everybody uses this book to make their doughs, and that those books take you through all the variables of what you're experiencing. Oh, you're having this problem? Well, this is why, you know. Um, and so, baking is kind of like, a, I mean, it's science, basically. It right? is. And it's, you know, I thought about that earlier because baking, if you're, the difference between the result you get from measuring all your ingredients and just approximating all your ingredients in baking is massive. Can be huge. Yeah. I mean, even I know that. Yeah. Right. So I don't bake because I just throw shit together. I cook. Yeah. And I can. When I'm baking, I, I do measure. You have everything. to measure you everything if you fucked. want it to come out yeah. right. You know, and, yeah. and air, you can look at airbrushing like that. You have to, you know, they're, you're going to be more successful if you follow the recipe. You know, mm-hmm. if your pressure on your, your compressor is what you set the oven at, and your thinning ratio is, you know, your, your flour to water and, etc etc like it you know it's just a that's it's going to be the best way for you to dial in what's going on with your setup where you work you know yeah all that yeah Yeah. so yeah i think it yeah good 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 discussion but i don't want to wear everybody out with that chris what about you you gotta burr under your saddle yeah uh We've got loads, really. Guys, um, guys who claim that you should only use a certain airbrush pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing you didn't mention on that, of course, is that most of the gauges are built into uh, compressors are garbage. Yeah. Oh, that's a that's so, a really good point. I'm glad you mentioned what it, that. When it they, says yeah. 17 psi on mine, it could be five on yours. I you know. I learned that early on, and because I was you know had a little bit of uh, of welding and oxyacetylene torch experience 
I knew that I could go buy an inexpensive oil-filled gauge. And so I have one that I've carried with me through all my compressors. You, It's like 15 bucks for a zero. And the other thing is, is a lot of those shitty little gauges are like 100 PSI or 150 PSI, and nobody needs that. So well, yeah, op- is your compressor even going to out- output that? No. And, and I mean, if you're operating in, in the range of 7 to 20, that's ridiculous. So I have a 60 PSI oil-filled or maybe glycerin-filled gauge that I paid 15 bucks for on Amazon. You have to get a 1 quarter to 1 eighth inch NPT female to male adapter so that it'll screw into your compressor hobby compressor regulator. And then again, you at least know that whatever pressure you've got is is a consistency. If 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 it says twenty, it's twenty, and not you know something else because the needle is sticking or it's leaky or whatever the case may be. It's a, that, the cooking analogy and the baking analogy works really well there as well because. Everyone thinks that the temperature their oven says it's on is what it's on. Yeah. You need to get an oven thermometer if you're serious about baking and about cooking. So it's the same as your your gauge. You know, if you don't get exactly the right temperature, your cake won't rise properly and won't stay there. Or you'll burn things because it's running hotter than what the dial says. And if you want to know the exact PSI you're spraying at, you need to get a decent gauge. And it's also fun to use an oven thermometer. Like we've got a digital one at work, and we just like open the I don't oven. Know what you and used like it for? Fire it into the oven. <laughs> oh right, like a laser. Okay, I was thinking of the one with a probe. No, a digital. Yeah. <laughs> you know the ones you check meat with. Yeah. The ones you st- yeah. the ones you stick in your meat. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you don't like dick jokes, you come to the wrong show. All right, what's your what's your uh, burn there, so, yeah. buddy? Right. Uh, People that say, oh, all the people's work here. You see it all the, all the time on groups. And I'm not going to name a group. All the people's work here is so amazing, it makes me feel really bad. I've got two problems with it. The main one is stop harshing other people just for being good. Because you're basically saying, stop it, because you're making me feel bad. The other thing is, stop looking at it like it's a competition. Because it's not. Because there's always going to be someone better than you. Always. And every time I go to a competition, this is reinforced by the other people that get medals and I don't. So, you know, start looking at it like, you know. I think the better way to look at that is like that's that's a goal, right? Instead of saying like, this guy is so much better than me. Like, okay, well, I want to get to that point. So I'm going to work hard to get to that point. You know, like I'm going to. Well, what it does to me is I think, wow, look what's possible. Look what you can actually do with with paint, and I'll, you know, want to figure. And if that's something you really want to do, then like again, make that your goal and work hard towards yeah. getting there. And like, you know, uh, ask advice of the people that you admire and and whose work is really good, and they're gonna they're gonna try to help you out. They're gonna, you know, like the majority of the people in this hobby all are into pushing their work forward. And if you're into that too, and you're asking questions, they're gonna help you get your work you know push your work forward well the other thing they say is i'm not good enough for this to do to enter a competition to do this do that even if it's your first figure and you paint it with a house paintbrush and watercolors you're good enough it's your figure do what the hell or your model do what the hell you want with it you know you're you're born good enough so stop worrying about being good enough and stop comparing yourself to other people about whether you're good enough just 
concentrate on yourself. And the other thing is... Concentrate on improving yourself. You, know, you mentioned, like, nobody is born being really good at this hobby. Right? You have to work toward... Maybe Marion Van Gill. Sure. <laughs> Maybe. But, you know, it, it, there's no magic pill, right? You can't just be like, I want to get good. And, like, oh, take that pill. And the next day you wake up and you're good at it. Like, you have to commit to working towards it if that's really what your goal is. And it shouldn't, it's, you know, the term working towards it isn't even good because it's not really work. It's a hobby, right? It's a hobby yeah. and it's a challenge that you present yourself and, and you you determine what kind of challenge you're presenting to yourself. And if you're, you, you can learn pretty quickly, like you can't take too big of a bite because you're not going to be able to get there. But like if you give yourself little goals, like that's cool, I want to learn how to do that. And then you get that skill set and you're like, I want to do the next thing. And again, like, <clears throat> dumb art school, you know, reference. But, like, <laughs> when I was when I was teaching drawing, people would be like, oh, I can't draw. And I'm like, well, you, you didn't come out of the womb knowing how to draw any more than you didn't mm. come out of the womb knowing how to drive a car. But you know how to drive a car now, don't you? You learned. Like, you practiced and you worked towards it. And now to one degree or another, you're okay at driving a car. So it's the same thing. Like you're not nobody's born anything being good that's at this. rewarding to do. Sorry, yeah. go on. Uh, you're, no, you're right. You're Everything that's rewarding to do takes work. Yeah, it, it, it's not easy to to learn. Yeah. You have to put the work in to get yeah. there. Ten thousand hours. Ten thousand maniacs. I, I don't know. I, I I'm sure it won't surprise you guys that I have a slightly different take on it, given my hyper competitive nature. I, I don't. I personally don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with comparing your work to somebody else's or, or, or comparing your abilities to somebody else's. But what I think is important is in how you process that. And yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to say. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I compare my work to other people's all the time. Yeah. I, I don't see how, I mean, I don't see if you want to get better, I don't see how you cannot. I mean, there has to be a yardstick if you want to know how tall you are. And so, but I think it's all in how you process it. And, you know, it's something, uh, I mean, I, Shane, our buddy Shane Doak will, will appreciate this and, and, and Spud too, since they're fellow dirt bike guys, that's one thing where you have to learn pretty quickly how to deal with not being as good as the other guys on the track, because, the consequences of trying to be that good when you're not ready are bad. That often involves the hospital, and 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 you have to learn. It's and it can be it can be difficult because you have to learn to process that via your ego, and not take that home with you and be like, oh, I'm just terrible. I suck. I'm a shitty person because I wasn't willing to huck the triple out of that left hander. I mean, it's. It, it, it's you know point being is sorry point point being is that when there's a real physical consequence that there's not in scale modeling that point gets driven home pretty quickly and especially if you start racing and you get your shit handed to you and you got to go home on Sunday night with nothing you spent all that money you spent all that time you did all that practicing and you get sent home you know with no ceremony. So I, I you know, I, I mean, I think that, that, that it just depends on how you process it. And so for me, because I've been through that, it's easy for me to look at, you know, at the work of Spud 
or Dave Parker or whoever and go, God damn it, I'm just not there. And I want to be there. So I just have to work harder. And I might not get there. I might not have the talent or the visual acuity or the eye-hand coordination. I may not get there. And recognizing when you can't and being okay with that, I think is hugely important. And and, and I, I really feel bad when I see guys say, man, I'm just never going to be able to do the kind of work that you, you know, that these other guys do. I feel bad because I feel like they haven't learned to process that. And I, you know, I hope for them that they can, because it can drive you out of, of a pastime that you would otherwise enjoy. And it is a pastime. That's the thing. Yeah. You don't it's have not to live win it death. No. to do it, Yeah, to enjoy it. You know, no. No. Yeah, again, so I, like, you're right. I mean, it's all about how you process that, right? Whether you look at, and it kind of gets to the crux of what Chris is saying. It's like, do you look at that as a place you're never going to be? Or do you look at that as a place that you someday want to be? Like that, that's, that's looking at things two different ways. If you look at it and say, I'm never going to be there. Guess what? You're never going to be there. That's just the way it's going to go. You have to, you have to visualize. And, 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 but, but, succeeding. but, but my point <laughs> is that there might come a day where that is exactly the truth. Yeah. You are never going to be there and you have to, you have to be able to process that and understand, okay, well, look, I, my hands shake. I just can't do it. And there's not a fucking thing I can do about my hands shaking. Or my eyeballs just aren't that good. I mean, I look at the stuff that Alex Clark does without magnification, and I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And, it, you know, I just have to be okay with the fact that I'm just never going to be able to do that, period. I don't physically have the attributes. And... Oh, well, okay, life goes on. Yeah, but I look at Alex's work, and it's the same thing. Like, he produces things on so, – it's always the tip of his finger, you know, sitting on the tip of his finger that he photographs. You're just like – It's insane. Well, you know he's got a giant finger-shaped yeah. cushion. Yeah, and there's just, some fuckery going on there. I think he's also good at Photoshop. <laughs> but I look at that stuff, and I'm like, okay, if he can do that, then I can give it a shot, right? I can, yeah. I can try – you know, to scratch build this little part that flew across the room. And or try room. to drill the exhausts on a 172nd exactly, Mustang. Exactly, exactly. Like, the challenge doesn't have to be to get there. The challenge can be mm. to to do a little bit more than what you think you can, you know? To, to push yourself just a little bit rather than, like, you know, I want to be David Parker when I grow up. Well, you might not get there. But also, the other thing to realize, and this is something that, that was brought home to me in, in I'm not going to say art school, but I'll say college. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, how drunk are people going to be yes. after this episode? <laughs> three, three, three. three. So, <clears throat> I'll have to release it tomorrow. It's Burns Night. I, 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 lived, I had a roommate uh, who was a really successful, really talented artist, and in the early days when I was trying to just going through art school and just started, I kept trying to be as good as him. And I kept being like actually angry that I wasn't getting better and, and reaching where he was. And he sat me down one day and he's like, dude, I've been doing this 10 times longer than you. I've been doing it for 10 years. Like if you're going to catch up to me, I need to stop what I'm doing for 10 years. And then we'll be at the same level. 
but you've got to be okay with the fact that I'm always going to be 10 years ahead of you because I've been doing it for 10 years longer. And there are guys that I look up to. This was my roommate Doug saying this. He's like, there are people that I look up to that have been doing it for even 10 years longer than me. And those guys are 20 years ahead of you. And you know when you'll catch up to them? When they die. 20 years after they die, if you keep doing this, you'll catch up to where they are. Like, it's just not a productive way to look at it. No, there's always, always going to be somebody faster. No, so I just became okay with, like, getting better than I was, you know? And and having somebody, you know, even just in the next room where they can look at my work and be like, okay, cool. You know, you're having trouble with this. Let me help you with this, you know? But it's, yeah, it's... It is how you process it. Like you can't, you can't set unrealistic goals for yourself, or you're just going to destroy the fun. Mm. You can do it. It's the uh, essential message. You can do it if you really want. That's a great song. Um, <laughs> yeah, see, I'm never going to be able to carry a tune like that. I have to be okay with it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of people who wish I wouldn't, but. <laughs> Wes, welcome on this show. Um, well, my, what I... Go ahead. I was going to say, well, what I wish we were going to do is talk about your diorama, but do you have burrs? Uh, a little one. I'm looking at the time as well, thinking, like, I, I really want to switch over to talking about the, the diorama, getting the critique in. But <clears throat> I think my only burr is uh, people who... And this, this came up when somebody posted something about filters. <laughs> my, my pro- I know. I, I know where this. I know where this could go. Uh, it's it's people who who treat everything as a recipe that you have to do this yeah. as part of mm. modeling. Like a part of finishing a model. At some point after you painted, you have to apply a filter. Like eh, yeah. no, you don't. No, you don't. Like you can. You you. You have to understand what a filter does, and you have to understand, you know, what's going to happen when you put a filter on your model. But if you understand that, you can also do things before the the filter, quote-unquote, filter stage to do the exact fucking same thing as a filter. Right? It's it's a tool, and it's, it's a way to uh, fine-tune things that maybe haven't gone the way you wanted them to, but it's not part of the fucking recipe. It's just like Chris said, like putting, you know, panel line washes. It's not, you don't have to. A lot of people do it and it comes out looking really good. And if that's your thing, great. But, and I did it on this last model. I'm not saying that I don't, but I completely understand that you can do other things to your model that, kind of create the same effect as a panel line wash you know it's there's there's very little about building and painting a scale model that is it's a recipe to be followed there are guidelines the problem i got with recipes is is if, if you've got a recipe you'll get the same results every time right do you want the same results every time yeah surely you know you want to introduce a bit of uh kismet into it and you know happy accidents and all that sort well, of thing I, it, since i changed and decided to just do whatever i think is you know the micro decisions we're always talking about mm-hmm. whatever's needed at that particular moment since i changed and forgot i've done that stage already so now i'm doing this you know sometimes i'll pet and then 
start the weathering and then go back and do a bit more painting and stuff and and then go back and do the yeah. backwards and forwards it, you sh- and you, you know as soon as you let go of that you just realize that recipes kind of it's, it's well a- and I, I i think recipes kind of not even the right word i mean because if it were a, if it, yeah because if it were a true recipe then it would be you could use it and get the same result every time but formula whatever you you know checklist you see it all the time i mean we're specifically talking about the guy who says hey i'm you know new to model building and i'm not sure how to paint my tank what do i do and you've got this guy who pops up and says well the standard procedure is primer paint filter gloss decals gloss weather gloss <laughs> and and so now you've sent this guy who's just trying to learn away with this idea that that is the st- that that is the standard procedure rather than with an understanding of what each of those things do and why you might choose or not to do them and that's the that's the problem i have with it well i mean i think again it's like going back to the airbrush ratio you can you can give somebody like the guidelines for success like if you do these things, a lot of the variables are taken out of it. So I, I understand how people can come up and say, well, this is, you know, this is how I do it. And, you know, I get consistent results. Okay, great. That person can then take that and do those things and get the results that make them happy and, and get them excited to start the next model. But over time, your understanding of what these things do informs you that there's no right or wrong way to do them or, or a right place in the process to put them or, you know, like I said, with filters, you, you know, they're used to primarily, I feel they are used to unify colors whenever you've painted camouflage on a tank. Right. Let's not get into filter tool. (laughs) (laughs) I think well, I, here's look here's the problem. I, I think I think obviously with checklists, some things are absolute. You have to prime before you paint. I mean, if you're going to prime at all, I know there are people who are going to argue that's a whole other argument. But probably a good idea to paint before you decorate. Exactly. Right. I'm just saying some things are absolute, <laughs> and and you know what each of those things are there's no doubt what paint is there's no doubt what primer is well some people don't seem to understand it but a filter like Vallejo right yeah (laughs) a filter okay who can who can answer exactly what is a filter and I don't mean in terms of what it does I mean in terms of its chemical composition are, wait, are we talking about a filter in photography? Or are we talking about a filter in in in, in this in in this context? And, and I'm kind of being rhetorical because I already know the answer. Nobody can tell you exactly. I mean, is it this particular amount of thinner and this particular amount of paint? What kind of paint? What kind of thinner? Nobody keeps, can answer that definitively. What keeps it from being a wash? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, where's is, the, where's the see, dividing why line? We, and that, that starts why off. we argue yeah, about this. exactly. It's because it's a word used to mean three or four different exactly. things. Exactly. And it can do three or four different things. And, you know, mm. and so I think the real important point is that when guys are just announcing very authoritatively, yeah, do you do your paint and then you need to use a filter and then you need to do it? No, you don't. 
You can. You can, but you don't just, need to. Need is the key word, and it's and it's the authoritative delivery as if this is an absolute. That's where I step in, and the bad, you know, you know, where the bad will steps in. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so I, I think that was my burn under the saddle. It's just like these people with these absolute recipes, and possibly no real idea of what some of the things they're doing do. Like, yeah. just, you know, if your colors aren't harmonizing and you need a filter, great. Then use a filter to make them harmonize. But also, yeah. if you take one single ingredient, whether it's the color you use to lighten the color slightly, the additive color that you use to lighten each one of these camouflage colors, if it's all the same, if it's all, you know, to me a buff or whatever, then you've added a common ingredient to all these colors and it's going to create that harmony right there in your airbrush cup. So it's a matter of like learning what those things do and how to get there using different methods. Cause then that, that opens up your toolbox to like to have multiple tools for each situation. You know, the majority of, of all of this is just something that you apply to your model when you're making these micro decisions that we're always talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. That it needs yeah. this next thing, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, f- f- just as an example that's sort of not common, when I was building my uh, my Phantom drone a few years back, I spent a lot of time spraying all those grays. And then I stepped back and looked at it, and I was like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little cool. It, and I mean, the tone was a little cool. I just... Yeah, it's a big problem with grays. And it is, and the problem with grays is that that they respond to the color of the light. So you take a picture of something that's gray at sunset, it looks very different than it does in the middle of the day. But the bottom line for me was that when I looked at my model airplane, I did not like the gray tone that I had. I wanted it to be warmer. So I mixed up some super, super thin warm gray, sprayed the whole thing filter mm-hmm. that's that's one way that you can use them i mean it's not just about harmonizing it's you know it, it yeah, but, you but the point is it was a it was a it was an artistic decision that i was making to get to the place that my perception told me was going to make me happier right and in terms of like 135th scale armor i know you know, you've got uh, a bunch of uh, German ammo cans, and they're all painted Dunkelgeld. You and you want a little variety to show age, or fresh from the factory, or from a different factory whose recipe for Dunkelgeld was just slightly different. You want some, and the end result is that you want something interesting in that pile of Dunkelgeld cans. Then you can use filters to just thinly glaze over one or two. And give yep. yourself just a really small shift in color to to give a little interest and variety. Or or you could do the exact opposite. If you wanted all the cans to be the same and each mm. of them were slightly different, you could apply a filter over the entire thing, entire group of cans, and have them all be closer to the same value. Go either way. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Recipe, these, these hard, fast recipes that people want to throw out, these... these this is the way you do it. This is step A, B, C, D. It kind of gets on my nerves. Yeah, um, that's the real that's the real burr, right? It's not with the definition of filter itself. No. It's it's with the way that people. It's the idea of recipes. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, that's a solid one for sure. Cool. Well, let's take another break and let some ad sponsors talk to us about their cool products. And, you know, and again, thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. We, we really appreciate that. And we pick good sponsors. They, they sell good stuff. So pay attention to this. Good day to you, Spring Cutters. This is Tracy Hancock, and I am here to talk to you about one of our sponsors, Tetra Model Works. Tetra Model Works makes photo edge sets for ships, armor, and aircraft in scales from 1 700th to 1 35th. I mean, they've got everything you need. And you know it's the finest quality, or we wouldn't be talking about it on this podcast. So hustle your butt over to tetramodel.com to look at their entire catalog. And don't forget, if you're in the UK, Chris stocks this catalog at InsideTheArmor.com. Hey guys, it's Chris here talking about Inside the Armor Publications. Great news, Volume 2 of Models for Ukraine is out now. The first book raised over £19,000 for the Disasters Emergency Committee Ukraine Appeal, and we hope this book will raise more than 22000 to add to that total. The book features a number of fantastic artists, including Alex Clark, Calvin Tan, Emilien Diablo, Vance Lubin, Felipe Costa Ramirez, Harvey Lowe, Ian Baraclough, Jean-Bernard André, John Colasante, Jose Brito, Katerina Derbalova, René van der Hart, Robert Blocker, Sam Dwyer, and many more. Just go to InsideTheArmor.com where you can order your book and where you can also order any of our fantastic publications on paper or in ebook format. All right, so what you got here is a diorama of a Panzer 1B Beffel's wagon, which has been short-tracked and is residing at the Pilsenbori Airfield at the end of the war in May of 1945. This, uh, this vehicle was featured in Panzer Rex 10, and I instantly fell in love with it while everybody else in the world was falling in love with the Panzer IV with the 88mm mounted on it, which was directly behind this vehicle in that photo. So I built this thing from the Dragon Kit. Uh, Facebook told, told me yesterday that I built this 10 years ago. So I built it, <clears throat> and I got it into my head that there was something erroneous about the kit. There was some sort of a flaw. And I, it was a big enough flaw that I couldn't really wrap my head around how to fix it 10 years ago. Couldn't be arsed, couldn't figure it out. So I just put it on the shelf. Um, and then this year it came back down because I really, really, well, because of the T-Rex uh, 3D printed Panzer One tracks. That is really why it came off the shelf because I had purchased some uh, Frile, Frule, Fall, Frail, Panzer One tracks um, previously, and they wouldn't fit the sprocket. Uh, the, the sprocket teeth wouldn't line up with the, the tracks. Um, and then even getting, kind of forcing the, the drive wheel in there and wrapping the tracks around the, uh, the bogies and everything it wouldn't quite, they wouldn't quite attach. And if I added one more link, they were going to be too loose. Um, so out of frustration, I just, I really just put all that stuff in a box and forgot about it. 
until those 3D printed tracks came out. And then I bought some, fitted them to the tank, and they fit like a dream. They gave me exactly the, the correct sag that I was seeing in the picture. And that kind of fired up this project. Um, the project is, it's more or less kind of takes place about a, maybe a month after the photo was taken, um, where you've got a big assembly yard where a bunch of German equipment was dumped. And in order to create something, um, a scene out of this, out of, after going through several permutations of what I could do, <clears throat> I came up with this idea of, uh, sort of implying that they were in a big scrapyard by um, by having a lot of things that were clearly being stripped off the vehicles waiting to go to the smelting plant or whatever. Okay. I spent a lot of time composing the base. I spent, a, well, obviously I spent a lot of time on the project period because it's been, you know, on and off for a long time, but <clears throat> but for a long time in those 10 years, it was not being worked on at all. But yes, I, I went through several paint jobs on this uh, to the point of even rage spraying one time. So it's been repainted three times before I got something I was happy with. Um, I base coated it with Tamiya uh, Red Oxide Enamel Rattle Can Primer. My first experiment was... Um, Mission models, Dunkel get or Dunkel Gray, uh, hairspray, and then I think mission models, uh, Dunkel Gelb and and red brown and and green, and I can't get mission models to spray worth a shit. Um, and like our buddies in small subjects were talking about the other day, like I've gotten to the point where I need to go through my tools and my paints and just throw things away that don't work. Like I, I, I have to stop trying to make something work for me that isn't working for me. And I have to get rid of tools that are useless instead of just having them in a drawer. They just need to go in the garbage. Um, so I wasn't happy with that. And the, uh, I tried hairspray chipping it and it was just coming off in sheets to the point that whenever I wanted to strip the model... I put it in a tray and I took a spray container of uh, Windex and sprayed it on the model and the force of the Windex hitting the model was taking the paint off all the way back down to the Tamiya primer. So uh, second and third attempts were done with, uh, I believe, one second... Okay. My successful result was still using Mission Models Panzer Gray and Mission Models Transparent Dust uh, to take away the little bit of the, the darkness of the, the Panzer Gray. But what I like about that combo is it doesn't turn it blue. Um, it lightens the gray to a really nice uh, color that shows some, some age. Uh, then I put some VMS Satin on top of it. And then I came back with the uh, AK Real Color Dunkel Gelb, lightened with AK Buff, and then a subsequent slightly lighter layer of the same thing uh, by adding some of the Real Color Cream. And then the camo uh, was AK Real Color Olive Green and AK Buff and a 
AK Cream to lighten it out, and the AK Rot Brown, Red Brown, plus Buff, plus Cream uh, to get me those final colors. Did a little hairspray chipping, which I was really happy with how that came out. So to me, it, it looks it looks really good. That's one thing I'm zoomed in on yeah, right now. And, so fine, and your chipping scale. is definitely legit. Uh, right, chipped with uh, IPA. So the, as your instead of you mean instead of water. Yep. So wow, for, that's pretty bold. It's yeah. actually it's, it's not because the Tamiya. If you let it set, and again, this is like me working on something, coming back to it after a week or coming back to it after a few days. To me, it's set up pretty well. So the uh, the IPA does a nice job of, of sort of breaking through the surface uh, really, really finely. Um, I don't know how it would react if you just turned around and did it fresh after painting. but I'm looking at Yeah, the, with your, with your paint it's really, you know, the overspray is in is in scale as well. It's really nice, really good soft edges on the camera. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. The overspray was toned down with oil paint. Okay, that probably why it's blended in so well. But it look the result is fantastic, really fantastic. The initial result was not. Okay. Well, look that getting a getting a really good in scale edge that looks like it was sprayed with a full-size spray gun is hard and whatever tricks you have to play are legit in my opinion i mean whether that's oils or i i usually do a little sanding it gets rid of the little tiny flex but that works well with lacquers i i mean whatever you got to do i think it's it's fair play I tried a little sanding and it produced some really cool results on the top of the vehicle um and I kept those. It, it it really wore through to that Panzer Gray in a couple of places really nicely. But it did not help uh, very much at all with the overspray. Again, it was mixing up a, a Dunkel Gelb sort of color and, and just working that in. Uh, the markings were sprayed on, thanks to Barry Beidegger for uh, providing me with the vinyl mask for that. I can't get past those idle amounts. They're just absolutely wonderful. You mean where there's uh, like it's short tracks? It's like the black metal, yeah, grease. Yeah, Yeah. I like it. That's a really, really nice detail. It balances the, you know, the the rest of it really well as well. You know, just I don't know if that was just a sort of a sandy color, it would kind of disappear to the eye. Well, that was one of the things that attracted me to the vehicle in the first place. Like I do like Panzer ones. I think they're Mm. funky, cool little, like it's like an MG Roadster. You know, yeah. It's a sporty little thing, but this one being short-tracked and then the idler wheels being removed and just having those hubs leaking grease, that was initially what caught my eye and, and made me want to do that vehicle. They look really nice, the way it's catching the light on the grease and the way it sort of it's leaked into the, the dirt and grime surrounding it on the metal as well. Yeah, that's all oil except the gloss is... I think an AK engine oil or something came back at the very end and just, you know, pretty selectively added that. Yeah, that oil, uh, whatever it is, if it's AK or I, I think I've used both the AK and the ammo variety. That's just a great weathering product. It's one of my favorites. 
I find well, you got to be, be careful with it. But yeah, you, you can't go. I have some. Way. Yeah. All right. Well, I have some thoughts. Okay. Um, so, which photo are we looking at? Okay, so I'm looking at the sort of overhead photo where you can see the composition the best. And I think the composition is fantastic. When you said earlier that you were talking about how it's sitting here waiting to go to the scrapyard, it's at an airfield. I mean, that's all good. You know that, but you're going to be the only one who knows that save, I guess, people who listen to this. Somebody who's just looking at it is not going to know any of that. The real story here is the interaction between this guy and these two cats. He's on some kind of a break. He's chilling out. He's got a moment of peace. And he's sharing it with these two calico cats, which I think is super cool that you painted them calico. (laughs) It's That's, not easy to paint cats. I'll tell you that. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 calico is probably like the hardest choice you could have picked. And did you know that? I mean, completely irrelevant detail. That means that they're both female cats. No, but did you know I did that with sponge chipping? Nice. That's a good. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a great that's a great technique. Where'd you get the cats, by the way? Oh, hang on just a second. You did say tell us before, actually. Yeah, and I forgot. But they're good, and the figure is good. Um, and I just, I think the interplay, the fact that he's got this, you know, he's got a smile on his face, and the cats are both looking at him. I, I mean, the only way that it could be, I think, composed any better is if he's got a sandwich or something. That the cats want a bite of. Attempted, failed. Okay. Sam Dwyer brought up the the same thing early on, and I attempted to make, and I feel like this has some potential, but what I did didn't succeed. But I took a piece of sponge, like I would use for sponge chipping, and I wrapped it in um, in milliput, uh, in epoxy putty, and tried to make a a loaf of bread that had been torn. Nice. And it just uh, didn't hold shape well, but I feel like the the sponge, uh, as the interior of the bread, has some real potential. Yeah, or maybe just pick a food that's easier to depict. I mean, I don't know. Sandwich might not be the simplest yeah, thing. I mean, it, we we talked about a can of food or a can of potted meat, and I just didn't yeah. feel like I didn't feel like I could pull it off without it detracting from what I was doing. That's always the thing, you know, the, for an element like that to add value, it's got to be very clear. Like it's, you have to be able to look at it and instantly know, okay, this is food. Cats want some. The dude is, you know, chuckling because hungry cats. And as a cat, as a cat guy, I mean, that's, you know, that's a place I'm in at every mealtime. So I totally get it. But I think it's cool. I think the composition is is great. Um, the one thing that that stands out to me um from the photo from this photo and several of the others that and this is subjective uh, to me I, I i would like to see that tarp be a different color maybe not a completely different color but just a shade that gives it more contrast because i have a hard time sort of separating that with my eyeball 
Mm-hmm. And I, I just, you know, I just think that that a simple thing would be to give it a different color tone because it just very seems to very closely match the greens on the tank itself. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's a point where harmony goes too far. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, there's no reason that it has to be. I mean, you could keep it in harmony but still give it more contrast, right? I mean, it could be a darker yeah. brown, it could be a darker green. I mean, I know jack shit about color theory, but I'm just thinking about what would stand out more without being. It'd be like, an easy thing to use a filter on, actually. I mean, you could do that. They could you could darken it pretty easily. I, I mean, I, I'm just saying, you know, purple obviously would not yeah. <laughs> would not work, but something that's that gives it a little more definition as a as a separate element, and it I think it needs a little blending over on the right hand side where it meets the top surface of the tank it just looks like maybe the bottom edges of it are not very completely attached if that makes sense be more specific like okay so yeah so i went back to the first photo and i can't zoom in on it but it but it's the photo where you're seeing the dude from the back and by the way, I love the bottles. They're, they're, they are a great touch. I mean, that, they, they just look so authentic. Um, but so, so I'm looking at the tank from the right rear quarter. And even from the distance that this photo is taken from, the gap at the bottom where the tarp sort of drapes over that, that right angle, mm-hmm. it just it caught my eye. Might be something worth looking at closer and doing something with it just you know as i was gazing across the thing that that caused a hitch in my giddy up yeah i can see that it's also one of those things that like we were talking about with the um with the exhaust on the mustang like the digital photo is like it screams at you yeah in in real life it doesn't but no again like yeah popping that that tarp off and hitting it with a, a filter to give it a little more contrast and then maybe sanding the bottom edge with the, hitting it with a file and test fitting that a couple more times before gluing it down is not a problem. Oh, so it's not even glued on there yet. Yeah, it is. But it's oh, glued okay. on with, with uh, gator glue. It's just, it'll pop Ah, right there off. you go. Yeah, yeah, it'll come right off. Yeah, easy, easy peasy. I, I mean, I dude, I love the whole thing. I think the color tones are great. There is a lot of color harmony. I... I feel like if 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 Martin were looking at this, that he might suggest spraying some different tones in the grass, but that's like really getting down to the super subtle stuff. Um, I just think overall it's really nice. I will say this, though, I pulled one of your photos into Lightroom while I was looking at it because I felt like they were slightly hot, and, and they are. They're about a half stop hot. I feel like that they everything looks better. If you if you just take a little off the exposure, yes. Now snapping photos yesterday and then throwing them in into iPhoto, I didn't have to make very many adjustments. Uh, but yeah, I do like the. I guess I notice it the most on the cat that's by the front wheel. Yeah, his white spots blow out even yeah, when I drop real, the exposure. Yeah, yeah. So and, I, and some of that's some of that's unavoidable. Um, I mean, the only way that you can really get around that is um, if if you are able to be 
really selective in how you tune the position of your lights. Uh, that's uh, but, yeah, that's my next step. Is I think the lights were basically too close to the diorama, and it kind of blew everything out. Like the the flesh tones on the figure is they're kind of doing the same thing. They're starting to get blown out. So, um, yeah, it's a challenge. And you, what you might try to do, it, it, because a lot of it also has to do with with your background is try and just frame a little tighter when you're when you're composing the pictures in camera and so that so that you have a little less of that of that backdrop and that may help your little robots inside the camera a little mm. bit better okay but sometimes i mean look i'll fully admit right now out loud in public that if i have a situation like that where I can get the entire photo to be properly exposed except for the white spots on the cat. Dude, I'm going to do a little local adjustment because Lightroom makes that so easy. And I'm not changing. I'm not photo fucking it. I'm not doing anything that's dishonest. I'm just altering the exposure in that particular area so that it is more viewable. And I don't know if you can do that in iPhoto. Well, it's not going to be my first... Uh, solution. My first solution is going to be to retake the photos with the lights a little bit further away. It always, yeah, it always should be. But you may find that that you just can't, you know, that, that yeah. you just can't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like a, like a cockpit is a perfect example. No matter how perfectly you set your lights up and get your exposure correct for the outside of the plane and the backdrop, the inside of the cockpit is just going to be too dark. And that's when you reach for the adjustment brush. <laughs> Chris, what about you? Uh, it's a personal thing, but I really don't like models that overhang the base. I, I knew feel you like it say that. breaks the fourth wall. Um, I mean, the fact that back overhangs is bad, but the fact that one of the tracks is on top of the wood on the edge of the base, for me, kind of, you know, takes away from it. But like I said... I guess it's a personal thing because you knew what you were doing when you did it. So, um, I, I'm going to disagree. Bit, Go on. There's a bit of intent there um, because I feel like the rest of the the diorama is engaging in mm -hmm. that you you focus on those elements. You focus on the guy sitting on the tank. You focus on the catch. You focus on the groundwork and all the cool shit piled up around the tank. When really the coolest part of that tank is the ass of it. It's missing its muffler. It's missing those idler wheels. Like everything's leaking out of the back end of this thing. Mm. It must have sounded like a fucking, you know, a Harley coming down the road. So I did kind of intentionally push the back end off so that you, so it became a focal point. So It, became it probably sounded like spanners in a washing machine. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it sounded like shit. But I wanted, I wanted to make sure that those cool little details got the attention they deserved. And I feel like putting the ass end off a little bit makes that the only thing you look at from that direction. And I so think that's legit. The other thing that I did is, you know, we've talked about how we incorporate a lot of the things that our guests have talked about. And for me, this diorama was sort of the encapsulation of a lot of things that a lot of people have talked about. And it was for me, <clears throat> one of the things that I wanted to push forward that I took away from our conversation with Peter Usher was that it needs to look good from every angle. Like it, you need to, it does, yeah, yeah. 
you know? Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that was the reason for that. Um, I'm going to disagree with Will about the grass. I think it's great as it is. Uh, I particularly like the flowers in it because that really, yeah. you know, really lifts it and pops it and adds a little extra. It lightens the whole area, literally, you know, in, in terms of the colour being much lighter. And uh, it makes suggestions of new beginnings and spring and, you know, after the war and everything else. So I really like that. Uh, and also some time passing because, of course, the war finished in, uh, was it May? Yeah. 45. So those flowers are probably the next spring flowers. So maybe another year's passed since, you know, the end of the war. Um, the tracks and the wheels really make it. If you didn't have that, if you just had the tank on its own, even with the cats, it'd be quite dull. But with those as well. Yeah. It really, especially the little bit of height in the corner. And and also I've been to a couple of collectors, uh, people that collect tanks and stuff, and there's always piles of these lying around. Yeah. So that actually, for me, makes me think of the scrapyard thing because the tanks that those belong to have been removed. And the fact they're so rusty is they haven't been moved for a very long time and they're not going to be reused because they're too rusty. You know, it's unlikely that they would unroll again, if you see what I mean, because they're probably welded together with rust. And well, they're, just... also, they're also physically tied together with wire. Yeah. So each oh, one right, of those rolls I use... Well, it's very fine wire, but yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, now you say it, I see it. Um, what's that grey thing the cat sat next to? Like a circle almost, half a circle. Oh, it's a piece of a tow cable. Yeah, that's really nice. That's a nice little detail there. Um, one thing I would have done as well is brought the earth up over the lip of the base. So... Uh, it's not like a box with mud sat in it, if you see what I mean. It's a slice mm-hmm. of earth. But that's just a personal thing as well. Uh, the figure's really nicely done as well. Much better than, don't take this the wrong way, but a, a step on again from your um, Japanese guys on your Japanese tank. In fact, yeah. the whole diorama is, you can really see how you've thought a lot about what you learned from that and about what we've talked about with people and stuff. You can see how it's, you know, yeah. this is a big step on from that last one. I mean, that was the intent. It was to like, okay, this is a thing I can really push all of these things. The figure I attempted with acrylics, it came out okay. Um, I followed uh, David Lane's advice and used uh, sort of a gray-green base to my skin mm. tones. Um, but that's painted with oil after that. Brilliant. Uh, and the jumpsuit is Payne's gray and white. So that tells you how much blue is in Payne's Gray. Is that there's a lot, right. yeah. There's a, a lot, lot of blue that in is Payne's blue. Gray. Yeah. Now, see, if that was just flat gray, it would look. That would kill the whole thing. It would be so dead and lifeless because it's got that blue in it. And almost every color that I thought of, like you could get away with like a khaki, mm. you know. Uh, but again, yeah, it would just you'd kill melt it. into the tank then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So the one thing I will say, like I. Aside from the the spraying issues, which were all my own issues, um, getting the tank painted and weathered was not anything out of the ordinary for me, right? That didn't necessarily push me in any way. The groundwork and the composition of the groundwork, I spent a lot of time on. A lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. Because I got... uh, Lester Plaskett gave me the idea of having one of the rolls of tracks being kind of starting to unroll, you know, like, Mm. and where I initially placed that was between the cat with the, with the uh, rolled out portion being between the cat 
and the figure sitting on the tank. Oh yeah, that would. And it divided it, right? It just it created a physical barrier between those two things, where that wasn't the story that I was trying to tell. There's no animosity. Yeah, because that shared gaze is the is the thing, isn't it? Right. So the cats are from Mathos Matho models, M A T H O. You get the little set of five, and I, I really like them. They're super delicate, and really well sculpted, 3D, 3D printed. Um, they're really nice. But again, it was a matter of like setting the tank in the base, setting all the elements, moving things around. I spent ages moving things around. The tracks are um, the original Panzer One tracks. The Fruel model tracks are used because I knew after using those uh, T-Rex tracks that I wasn't going to go back to those. So I used them in the diorama. I found some shitty uh, Hetzer tracks from an old dragon kit. And just assembling all those tracks. Um, yeah. And then Panzer Four magic track uh, from an old dragon kit. Again, like assembling those things and creating that role and, and all that took a long time. But it gave me those elements to play with. And then the 3D printed Panzer Three and Panzer Four wheels... Again, it took a lot of playing with those things to make it work. Um, like the stack of track, I originally had the, the tallest stack being on the corner and realized it was kind of pulling your eye away from what I wanted you to look at. So by moving that track back over to the other stack closer to the vehicle and putting that Panzer three or four uh, Panzer four wheel sitting at an angle, it all kind of points you back towards the figure and the cat and that interaction. And then the Panzer three and four wheels, I had them piled up in a way that there was a gap between them and the track. And that didn't tell the story the way I wanted it to. It created like, it created a question of like, why is there this gap? Like what's, what's missing from here? What, where does that go? And then by spreading them out a little bit more and piling them in a different way, moving them a little closer, it sort of reinforced the idea that, there's a lot more junk beyond the boundaries of this this diorama. It, like it's it's a pretty big scrapyard. So again, like that Peter Usher thing of like moving things around and like looking at it from every angle and making sure that every angle you're looking at, if it doesn't tell the story, it makes you ask a question of like, you know, if you look at it from a way where the cats are blocked by the stack of tracks, but you can still see the guy. I want you to wonder what the guy's looking at. What's he smiling at? You know. Um. So, yeah, I'm. I'm. I am very happy with it. I. I love doing groundwork because I. I love creating groundwork that looks realistic, and like it. It really just does involve moving this tuft over here and that tuft over there, and it's time consuming to get something really good. But I feel like. The base on this thing, I, I got paid a really nice compliment in SMCG. You know, somebody was like, this thing is, it, it. all it needs is a figure to tell a story of its own. Like it's, it's Actually, even without a figure, just two cats, it would have still looked great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You did, look, you did a great job on all of it. I, I think you should be proud of it. Uh, I mean, it's, I think my favorite part of it is... You just did such a great job with the with the weathering and the layering on the tank. Super high level of authenticity. That's you know that's always one of the first things that I look at, and 
you know, any of the stuff that I suggested, I wasn't really saying I thought your grass should have more tones. I was just sort of speculating out loud on what somebody like Martin might say. But that's part of his style, right? He likes to introduce a lot of of color contrast. And, and that's I would have his actually, thing. You yeah, know? and I would have actually tried that had I not already glued down all the track to the base and all the wheels. Yeah, the it's, uh, yeah. It, you're kind of committed at that point. It just became a little too much to work around. What I end up doing is using oil paints on top of the grass. Mm. I mean, his his whole way of doing things is very different. And I've been thinking about that more as I've been working on my little groundwork, you know, ridiculously simple things. He would have had the tracks and the cats and all the rocks and all the shit on there and primed all of it black and then painted everything. And I just, I wouldn't work that way either. I, that to me almost seems unnecessarily difficult, but I mean, it's just a different, you know, it's just a different way of looking at things. Yeah. Well, it works well with this high contrast style, but yeah. Tracy, you don't have a high contrast style, do you? So. No. And I think, and your style is more realistic than his is. It's, you know, it's just jazz versus rock and roll. It's just two different styles. But look, I think you, I think, <laughs> I think you did a great job, man. I think you should be proud of it. Yeah, it's best best thing you've done for sure. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I will say that the the one thing that Sam Dwyer suggested, which I'm also going to do, is he wanted to see a little more dust on the on the top surface of the track on the ground. If you if you get what I'm saying, just to, to show that it's actually run through that environment recently. So, right. yeah, I mean, I, I've got my notes of what I want to do. Um, they're very, very small, thankfully. Um, and thanks for the, the critical eye. Um, I'm really happy you guys pointed out what you pointed out. And, um, and it just goes to show there's a couple of things you mentioned, like the tarp not quite sitting right. I saw that, too. And I was like, eh, eh, do I? And now Will's brought it up, and I'm like, okay, yeah, just do I, it. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. It's like when you said, are those fasteners on the nose of the Mustang supposed yeah, to be? You kind of got to fix it now that somebody's brought it yeah, up. And it's an easy yeah. fix, yeah. Yeah, but, I, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's why you get somebody with sharp eyes to look. Absolutely. What's up, Chris? I just want to remind all the listeners to go to the Sprucutters Union Facebook page where you'll find an album for this episode which will include photos of Tracy's tank so that you can have a look while you're listening. Uh, I'll also put them up on the Sprue Cutters you face, uh, Twitter page as well. So, um, you know, listening to people discuss something visual, <laughs> it's a bit easier when you're looking at pictures. Yeah. Now, that being said, there'll be different photos and probably what we're looking at. A little bit better photos, hopefully. Well, only if you do them before Friday. I will. <laughs> when this show goes out <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not gonna fix anything right now i will retake the photos yeah uh, of what we're talking about and then i'll attend okay. to the things that we brought up but i do want to take yeah. better photos than, than what i ended up giving you guys just to see if i can bring no it down on, well i won't post it till the episode goes out so you've got a couple of days yet yeah okay good stuff feels good to be back it's good to see you guys again it is it's awesome um, so our next episode will be dropping in how many weeks, Chris? Three? In three weeks. In three weeks. And we have a we very have big interview. Yeah. Yeah, very, we got something yeah. pretty big. If you big. like the Edward interview and the Armour interview, and judging by the numbers, people really did, then you're going to love this one. Yeah. Yeah. We're, really coming out of, yeah we're coming out of the gate strong. This was just a warm-up. Cool. All right. So 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys in three weeks. Arrivederci. Adios, bitches. Ciao, baby.